I'm speaking too early. Like I shouldn't be talking about this movie for another 10 years. Like I, this is so not the, the right thing. <laughs> but I, you know, only because it's coming out now and I wish I could just recede as far as possible and have the film just live on its own without any baggage that I'm, you know, inadvertently sad saddling onto it. I, I made something for an audience. I hope that it is exciting and fun and makes people feel things. I just cannot speak to what those things are and shouldn't. And I mean, I, I don't know. I just want to throw up even hearing myself right now. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. Hello. Hi. Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod. A lot of movie news this week. You guys, uh, I don't know if anybody's following the Sundance Film Festival at all. No, dude. We had no. we had a three hour movie to watch this week. I know. Yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah. I haven't seen a whole lot either because of the load. The workload here has been <laughs> it's crazy. But I have been following the Sundance Film Festival, and there's a lot of choice looking horror movies. I think we talked about Long Legs for a minute outside the show, starring Nick Cage Nick and Cage. Micah Monroe. All mm-hmm. I need to know. I don't know anything else about it. It's a horror movie. It's called Long Legs. Spiders. Again, can't wait. Is it spiders? He I don't know. To find his spi- he has to find and rescue his pet spider. That would be great. Yeah. I don't care what it is. I, sh- I sent you guys that clip of the standing ovation for Rose Glass, the filmmaker behind St. Maud, which we talked about and we loved. Her new movie, Love Lies Bleeding, with Kristen Stewart. Uh, Ed Harris and others looks really good. Got a standing O. Can't wait to see that one. Something about the title is off-putting to me. It's so melodramatic. <laughs> like you know that. what I mean? It, yeah. it just sounds like one of those indie films about yeah, bones and all. Yeah, you know, that vibe. Same, same yeah. thing. And I love. I, that. I love that too, though. Yeah, it does. It does have a very art house on. Did you guys? Did we all see? We're all going to the World's Fair. I saw. I it. did. Yeah, you didn't see that. Describe cat. it to me. It's very hard to describe. <laughs> okay, you know, the internet. Was girl in her internet. Internet horror. Yeah. Oh no! It it's wasn't. Like it wasn't that like Carpenter one about old people. No, no. The filmmakers Jane. I can never pronounce the last name. Jane Schroenbron. Schroenbron. Uh, she's got a new one out. It's called "I Saw the Glow" or "I Saw the TV Glow." Um, getting really good reviews. Excited about that one too. Uh, new movie by Steven Soderbergh called "Presence." It's been getting a lot of uh, good reviews. Starred Lucy Liu and Julia Fox. Ooh, Lucy she's, Liu. she's doing yeah. so. Wow. Looks good. Those guys. I haven't seen her. And uh, not Sundance, but uh, did you guys see that not only is Mickey Mouse from Steamboat Willie in the public domain, but now we also have Pinocchio? No. Oh, wow. So no. there's a movie in the works. It's called Pinocchio Unstrung. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> wow. Isn't he creepy enough? We don't have to make him into a <laughs> yeah, horror yeah, movie. That's true. It's already a horror movie. Well, now we see what the new trend is, and that this isn't going to stop. I hate it, though. I can't wait for Tom and Jerry, though. Like no! 50 oh. years from now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> be more be. violent. Yeah. <laughs> and finally get some violence at Tom and Jerry. The Roadrunner. Oh, yeah. The oh, well, they, would be yeah, great. there was that uh, Wiley e. Coyote movie that got shelved. I think that might be making a comeback. We uh-huh. hardly ever see an anvil being used, and all the deaths we see <laughs> here, true. you never see an Acme anvil just dropped on someone's head. So I look forward to that. I haven't seen any of these. 
Academy Award nominations were announced, and our boy Yorgos Lanthimos has been nominated Best Director, Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay. Emma Stone is nominated for Best Actress, and Ruffalo for Best Supporting Actor. Very exciting. Mm. No Defoe, huh? No Defoe, yeah, interesting. I mean, Ruffalo really stole the show. You haven't seen that yet? No. No. He is, ama- he is like, you've never seen Mark Ruffalo like this before. Oh, really nice. good. Anybody see anything uh, since last week besides what we're going to talk about? <laughs> no. It's been a just <laughs> trying to well, think. I watched some stuff here, kind of passively watched uh, like some 80s stuff. Yeah, I, I let Tubi go on like slashers. I think I started on like Hell Night and it just rolled oh, through like. How was Hell Night? Hell Night. Uh, not bad. O- yeah. Almost uh, was almost my pick. One okay. of my picks this week. Okay. Uh, and it just rolled through like Sorority House Massacre one. That's a good two, one. I like three. that one. <laughs> like it just kept going. And then today watched a lot of uh, Croc and Gator. Nice movies that Tubi was uh, just offering up. Did you watch Gator Bait by any chance? No. Well, one called I, I, Gator honestly, Bait. I couldn't tell you. At some point, you just look up and you're not sure what Tubi played next. Yes. And you're just like, oh, okay, I'll catch ten minutes of that. Could have been. Yeah. Well, you you left it on, and I had. A session with two 20-year-olds, and they're watching the TV, and this Linnea Quigley section just comes on. First, and they're like, uh, it was Night of the Demons, nipple, lipstick, and all that. And then Return of the Living Dead comes on right after, and they're like, oh, that's the same girl. And I was like, well, you know what, guys? My birthday. <laughs> I got a cameo, and I showed, they were like, wow. Crazy. Wow, she looks the same. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been a, a heavy workload. Like I said, I did manage to squeeze in two more uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa movies, though. Wow. And I saw a great one from 2008 called Tokyo Sonata. Not a horror movie, not really a thriller, but it's so good. It's about a uh, white-collar family man who loses his job, and he decides not to tell his family, and he just starts living this phony double life where he pretends to go to work every day and it goes from there it's really really great highly recommend Tokyo Sonata if you want to break from horror you want to see something a little bit more in the family drama realm but still very dark and touches on a lot of commentary really good also I saw a movie called Creepy from 2016 Kurosawa very along the lines of Cure um, Neighbor from Hell kind of thing also VOD that was really good too so still still managed to get a little bit of elective time in, but this week it's Dave's Mad Nauseum week. Yes. <laughs> Spoiler alert, brilliant pairing, Dave. I want to just put that out there right Thank now. You. I didn't know what to think when you gave us these titles. I was very skeptical. I want to take back the thoughts that were in my mind that I didn't say and uh, really, really admire this pairing. We're going to start with Bo is Afraid. Yes, this is an excessive week. This is what happens when directors just go and go and go, uh, and they they. You, some people think it's self indulgent. This was my favorite movie of the year. I watched this so many times. The more I watched Bo is Afraid, the more I liked. There's a lot of attention to detail, everything that's written on every wall, all the chaos mm. in the background of every single shot, and I was listening to interviews about him talking about the details to have so much chaos happening and have to orchestrate all this stuff to happen 
in the streets and in the background and in the foreground and in the window that you didn't notice the first time you watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's tons of that stuff. Well, it's a three-hour movie, and -hmm. we've got a three-minute synopsis to go with it. Yes. So maybe we can do a little... uh, Oh, right. I forgot the synopsis. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot the synopsis. Yeah, that's great. That's fine. It's going to take some time. I know. Bo is afraid. (laughs) (laughs) With his mother's gloomy specter looming over his entire life, grizzled outcast Bo has never made sense of his miserable existence. Perpetually baffled by reality and his conflicting, urgent needs, the neurotic New Yorker gets a hearty slice of crippling anxiety and sheer paranoia when he sets foot in a strangely familiar war zone, his neighborhood. As the pill-popping hermit reluctantly embarks on a quest for answers after his mother's death, Bo must summon every last ounce of courage to confront everything that has kept him in the dark. Now the drugs won't work, and Bo is afraid. Uh, When I first saw... Hereditary, I never would have thought that Ari Aster would be someone who was such a big fan of their sense of humor. Mm, but yeah, yeah. as it has gone on from Midsummer, I think, thought was hilarious on a lot of different uh, levels. And then this is just, it's pathetic, but it's this <laughs> chaos energy. Uh, I've never seen anxiety depicted in a movie the way the first act of this movie plays out. Um, and a lot of it is you know, kind of preposterous, but like situations that you'd find yourself in, like Googling the symptoms to something and just kind of, I found it all relatable, but to like 11, like super turned up. I thought it was hilarious, like existential craziness. I don't know. I don't know if it's horror, although there is a monster. There's a monster. There's a creature, creature, double feature. (laughs) But... (laughs) But I, I don't know. I liked it. I like that Ari Aster went here. I like excessive movies. Yeah. I like the tour de force kind of delusions of grandeur. And both movies went for that this week. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see what you guys thought of my favorite movie of the year. This is your favorite movie of the year. Bo yes. Bo is afraid. By Doubling far. Down. Yep. Well, you've done it. I, I'm stumped. I don't know what I think about this movie. (laughs) I watched it twice. I think it's fair. I think that's a fair assessment. Did I like it? Did I love it? Did I hate it? Did I think it was meh? I don't know. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And I was very entertained both times. I can if you're if you're intimidated as I was by the three hour runtime, especially for me, because I found Midsummer, I already thought it was getting indulgent. And needed editing. And, and now the second time when we talked about it, when I watched it a second time, I loved it. I liked it a lot more. But I was already like, this guy is out of control on the second feature. <laughs> so then when I heard about this three-hour thing and I saw right. such polarized response from both you know critics and audiences, I just have been hesitant. And uh, now that I've seen it twice, man, it, it, it flew by. The three hours, don't worry about that. This movie, to me flew by there was no uh and and i definitely strongly disagree with i've seen a number of people saying that things like well if you just if you chopped out that stupid the animated part i said that yeah if you just took out this (laughs) act or that sequence or yeah this part of it you know and you could cut it down to two hours you know then it would be something good but you know this is i totally disagree with that this is like you were saying dave this is a, a a kitchen sink artistic i don't even necessarily no, if I think it's indulgent 
I mean, what what is you know what, what's indulgent? I mean, if you you can go with it or not go with it, you don't have to like it. This is what he wanted to do, and and if you read interviews with him about this, he says it's the movie he's most proud of. He loves it. He, it's exactly what he wanted to do. A24 let him do exactly the movie he wanted. He has absolutely no complaints or regrets. This is the statement he wanted to make. I also read that this was actually the first movie he wanted to do, and he had to wait until he had some success, obviously, because wow. whoever... As you should. Yeah, as you should. Yeah, yeah. kind of reminded me of, like, Eggers going for the lighthouse after... You got to pick your spot when you, you know, people let you run wild. I don't know. This is crazy. I definitely recommend it. I'm still thinking about it. I'll probably watch it again. I guess you could say that I was confused by this film. Mm. And I think my confusion can be summed up in two words. Penis monster. (laughs) Um, I would call this an odyssey as it was very long and eventful Mm. for sure. But why were these events happening? I wonder. I still don't know. I don't want to completely shit talk this movie because it's not a bad movie. It's aesthetically pleasing. It's a well-done film by a filmmaker that I really do love and admire and I think, you know, always has a specific vision going on. I just did not understand what the vision was for this for this film. I do know there are some things that I know about this movie. One, mom, not a good mom apparently. Okay, got that one. He is mentally ill in some way, whether it be, you know, anxiety, schizophrenia, maybe. We don't know. Are these things real? Okay, so I really, maybe I don't yeah, know the, that the part. Medication That's a question. Is, the medication is fictional, so we can't even go off his yeah. medication. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. The couple who I like, I really liked that couple, uh, Nathan Lane. I was surprised and- <laughs> to see Nathan <laughs> yeah. Lane in this. I Out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, he's great. So good. <laughs> so that was a surprise. And then... Um, that woman from The Office and... Amy Ryan. Thank you, Amy Ryan. Uh, Murders in the Building, all that fun stuff. So that was a nice surprise. They were trying to keep him as their new son for some reason. I just wasn't really sure if things in this movie were supposed to be real or not, or if it was all just a weird fever dream, which could be... Yeah. It could go either way. It was so long, but it wasn't dragging. Like Trent said, it... it It flew by-ish, but I was just so stressed out the whole time, Mm. especially the first act. It was just so manic, and I thought things were going to be fake. Like I thought he was imagining things, and then they were really happening, and I was just like, I kind of was just holding my head in my hands, um, trying to keep up with the movie, and then hopefully get to a point in which I was like, oh, that's why this happened, and that's why this happened. But I don't think that point ever really uh, came to me. So I was just mostly just kind of stressed out and confused for a good, like, three hours. And then once the penis monster came in, I was just like, we're done. I don't really... <laughs> there's, uh, there's so little there's, left of the film at that point. Well, I, I, at that <laughs> point, on. I just turned... Ar- I just kind of, like, rolled over. and <laughs> was like, I don't really need to know what's going on for the rest of it. I don't think this film was made for me, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was bad. I don't think I'll be watching it a second time, probably, but... Yeah, you know, it's it's fine. That's fine. I think you nailed it in that you don't have to love this movie, you don't have to hate it. Yeah. It's perfectly fine to watch this movie and like I don't think you need to like stand up on the rooftops and like scream that it's the greatest thing ever. <clears throat> I also read some reviews that said it was the worst thing ever. I disagree. People really got carried away, I think, on both ends of the spectrum. Exactly. Movie, I yeah. think that you watch this, and I agree with that, with your assessment of like the runtime. It, it goes by 
real fast for a three-hour movie. Yeah. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is out of his mind good in this. Like, oh, so good. I mean, he's, I think, in every single scene. Like, you follow Joaquin Phoenix yeah. for three consecutive hours, and you never get bored of him. Yeah. But I yeah. fucking yeah. love yeah. this movie. I don't think it was made for everybody, and I do think it was made for Ari Aster. This is Ari Aster's, like, the wall. This is his, like, super... Wow. <laughs> yes, this is the wall. This, this is yes. his super concept this is album his wall. Yes. that you're not going to be able to decipher all the lyrics, Call not all the, the songs. <laughs> not all the songs flow together perfectly, but it is his concept album. Yes. And the, the point that you made, Dave, like, the set design and how much detail went into this, I would be super proud if I were him as well. I also read that like the actual set designers and everyone on the set were fucking pissed, and they were like, "Can you stop like adding <laughs> signs here and stopping takes to go right. like every little?" But he did it. This is his vision. He did, he it. did it. He fucking earned it. Yeah. You know yeah. what this does make me want to um, to know is how long was Hereditary supposed to be? I yeah. know there's a director's cut of Midsummer out there that like pushes like two and a half or three right. hours. Yes. Yes. Right. I'd love to catch that, uh, but everything if you want to like boil it down cuz this this movie does not follow a traditional like three act arc i mean it it's it just plows I, through yeah you know i kind of tried to i was trying to think of it in terms of acts and i lost track at some point like i don't know what act this is yeah but you nailed the like the beginning every single human on earth of like i would say age 18 and up can relate to that entire opening sequence like once you get past like the opening uh therapist scene and you get Bo, his apartment like walking through his neighborhood all of that yes it's like amped up to like 11 we can all relate to that like in some way we've all had <laughs> sketchy apartments dream, or shitty neighborhoods yeah. or or what have you uh, and it, it maybe gets less relatable as it goes on. And I think Aster also makes it in like hard to interpret uh, what what's real. And he's getting more personal as things goes on. As things go on. Yes. I think I asked this question during the Midsummer episode, but like, has anyone checked on Aster's parents? He doesn't this talk about it. Has he got won't talk serious about it. fucking oh parent issues. He's been asked. Obviously, and he's, some uh, mommy he issues. Politely declines to. I think he probably did it. what the opening fucking in Midsummer did or something. We should check on them. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's got some serious parenting issues. Yeah. And and all all of his movies. That's definitely all, the running runs through theme. All of them. Yeah. But I think we can all relate to that. Maybe not as intense. Again, this movie is totally exaggerated. Everything is massively exaggerated. I'll save theories and all of that for later in the conversation. But I fucking loved this. Mm. Was shocked at how quickly it goes by. And I thought that it would drag. I thought, like, I thought, okay, I was tricked into thinking it's not that long because I was just, how can this possibly be three hours? But it really is just Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. it. It goes by quick. Yeah. I, you know, I can kind of understand when you said that you didn't say you didn't like it. You said that it might not be made for you. I strangely found this movie to be very masculine, not just the penis monster, but the, <laughs> you know, the, the, the character and how it's all yeah. just about him and, and how he's experiencing everything. I found that to be super masculine. Um, and it's all, to me, a lot of the, the things, it, it's not really a story uh, it's this epic kind of experience of parental guilt and uh, how that trickles down through like everything and everybody. That's where it starts getting existential. I feel like in that middle section where it goes to like the the theater kind of vibe is when it starts being kind of a universal like man expectations 
societal kind of thing that uh, just had me like, maybe that's, you said you took a, a break at that point and smoked some weed or that's, to me, that's the part where it gets super heady and almost like 2001 A Space Odyssey where he's kind of going through this existential transformation by himself and then comes out the other end, you know, of that. I thought the first thing I thought, the whole opening sequence when he's trying to, he's got to get the plane to go see his mom, anxiety dream 101. Mm -hmm. I I have myself, I have a recurring anxiety dream. I mean, I have a handful of different scenarios. And one of them that I always have is that I'm trying to leave for a trip. I've got a long trip, a long drive, or I got to catch a plane. I'm going somewhere or I'm coming back from somewhere and I'm trying to get home and I can't leave because things keep happening. I can't find my phone. I find the phone. Where's my car, dude? Somebody took my car. <laughs> dude, where's my car? Dude, where's, where's my, my car? car? That's what I mean. <laughs> uh, and it's just never-ending circumstance. I'm about to step out the door exactly like in this movie, and then he's finally about to leave, and then wait, someone took his keys and bag. I was dying like, oh, my God, I know this feeling. This is my dream. Uh, and then from there, it you know, it got a little less relatable to me as it went on. But I thought the whole thing about his violent neighborhood when he is trying to cross the street to get a bottle of water. <laughs> uh, to me, that was like me being an anxious freak loser, exaggerating everything and being weird about doing something very easy. Like, I, I can't go into Susan's Fish and Chips right now. I just like, <laughs> it's too crowded. And be like, I work myself up in my mind. It's going to be some, or, you know, like somebody's having a party. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the show. I'm going to have to talk. To, oh my God. I have to talk to like 20 people and I work it all up in my mind and I mm -hmm. create this scene like is in this movie where it's like a war zone just to go get a bottle of water. <laughs> I kind of felt like that was all part of his anxiety and I, I related to that. It was funny. So I, I think a fun way to watch this movie is even though I already said like every every scenario that he goes through, there's like five or six different scenarios that he kind of goes through. They're all exaggerated to begin with. Yeah. But what Astor does brilliantly in this is even though they're like super crazy, they're still relatively predictable. Like you knew when he put his keys in the door and put his bag in the hallway and went back inside. You knew exactly. Astor shot it perfectly. But every scene he does something where you're like, that was fucking insane. And he always adds like when he's in the bathtub after oh. all the insanity, oh my God. And he just looks up and there's a fucking guy. Like, oh my God. like <clears throat> we've all been in a situation like with I Nathan died. Lane and Amy Ryan where like we didn't get hit by a car and taken to their house. We've all been in this awkward dinner situation in somebody else's house. And oh my we're God. watching their routine. Oh my God. And then you've got like Jeeves. Like everything just keeps amping up. Like he. So if you watch each sequence and kind of just wait. Like, okay, that was crazy. All and, and you have this like anticipation of like what's the punchline? Because every sequence has this insane punchline that you never saw coming. That's so funny. I have woken up in a child's bedroom more than once. What? And and been initially <laughs> raised you need to verify a lot right now. <laughs> I could relate to that. No, you have these people that when their kids are away, they like to throw parties. They're like, That's you guys. Right. They, we, you and I woke up in a couple race car beds one day. <laughs> I woke up in a princess bed once. Okay. Oh my god. Is anybody here? We woke up in my daughter's princess bed before, but Is not anybody when she was not there. These handcuffs are too tight. Oh my god. Um, I thought that this had the best death expo exposition by phone. Like that whole thing. Oh, when that, that whole thing happened. That entire. So good. Uh, that entire conversation is absolutely brilliant it's terrifying too. i also love the paint yeah. death 
very much. <laughs> I also love uh, hit the long, long love story. It's like the fucking notebook. <laughs> it's Parker a Posey. long, yeah, yeah. And then the way he he ends that whole thing is amazing because that has really been built up. This romance, like you've right. you're feeling like right. it's a romance movie. They're playing uh, the classic rock Nina Simone is playing yeah. and she's walking up and they realize it's each other and it's beautiful okay that Ooh. that alone is we we harp on music a lot on this show the sequence where, where bread starts playing <laughs> yeah. oh bread and oh, then it goes into Nina Simone so good and then it goes to always be my baby oh my god I was oh like, my god. this <laughs> is so fucking brilliant that fucking song. like yeah like one of my favorite songs of all time, Bread. Like Nina Simone track is a gem, and then I'm like, it, it, but it literally follows the insanity of that entire scene into like, really, Mariah, I, the and girl she, you don't really know, takes over the playlist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then she has to start the song over. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh my god, I know I've said it like four times, but could, does anyone know what the Penis Monster was about? Well, we know. What does, I can well, tell you know. what Ari Sex was said villainized. In, uh, tell me what he said. A fairly recent interview, and I okay. don't even quite get it. Okay. He said, yeah, I'm blowing the movie up. Isn't that, isn't that funny? His dad was a dick. <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, direct quote. That's what he said. I just read it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you can take it a million ways. You can take it His as literal or... His dad was a dick. Okay, yeah. there you go. All right. Yeah, you can take it as Heard. like a manifestation of what his mother's been trying to tell him. Like, Yeah, he just had a fucked up concept of... Of his dad. Of his dad and sex Without having and ever met him. Yeah. Right. So, well, I mean, he's a virgin when we meet him. Yeah, yeah, not by the end, bro. I didn't know Parker Posey was in this. So funny, I was just having a conversation about Parker Posey the other day to me, she will always be someone who, in the the '90s indie film explosion, when when I discovered indie film, and all the stuff was coming out, and it's you know you're you're in Portland, Maine in the '90s, you really have nothing to go on for indie film for what's coming out or what's new or what what you should see, and so you rent movies and you're writing down the trailer titles on a piece of paper to put in your wallet and take right. to the video <laughs> store. And Parker Posey was someone that. If she was in the movie, I just knew that that would be like an indie. It would be cool. If, it, if Parker Posey was in it, that was the movie I was going to rent just because she did so much cool indie stuff that. Yeah, I, I, know, I, I, must, I don't. I mean, do I know any? Like, I know who Parker Posey is. I love Parker Posey. Day she Trippers, was in Scream. What? Scream. Best three? in Show. House of Yes. Lot, a lot of stuff and not a lot of stuff that comes up a lot. Wait, was now. she in Happiness or am I making yeah. that up? No, she's not in Happiness. Okay. Yeah. But lots of movies like that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Um, soundtrack by the Hacks and Cloak, uh, who did Midsummer as well. But uh, uh, he did. He produced some Bjork stuff and has done all kinds of really cool, cool stuff. So, like theories, I I didn't notice like everything, and I haven't gone back. I'm sure that this is a fun. You could like Tarantino this and try to pick out like all of the little clues that in Easter eggs that Astro's laying around. What I gathered, though, is that his mother is running literally everything. Yeah. Like, the neighborhood he's living in has her business's, like, logo. Right. Uh, at the end, when he gets to her funeral, there's a collage of pictures. Almost everybody from the movie <laughs> yeah. is an employee of her company. Right. So, like, what I'm gathering is that, like, I think he is saying in the movie, this is like a fucking Truman Show deal. Like, she set up a world... And everybody works for her, 
and they're all watching Bo. I took that as wow. about her domineering presence in his life. He, Making him paranoid he, about that? Yeah, that he, that he is sort of a... a a man child that he's at one on the one hand he's been coddled by his mother but on the other hand he's also she's done that classic thing and they talk about it where she also withholds so she's alternating between he's he she would move mountains for him he's the love of her life but then she's also constantly withholding and punishing him and telling him that he's if he, he doesn't respond in the way that she wants then she withholds her love and so i just took that as part of the idea that she's just kind of a classic overbearing, inconsistent um, mother, and and he's just kind of been shaped by that. Now he's this helpless, dithering, anxious man who's 50 years old, and he can't even decide. He's on the phone with her. What should I do, Mom? What should I do? What will no, happen? I, I mean, I, like, that's what I got, it. too. But, but do you think it's real? This world, like, do you think all these people really did no. work for no, his I don't think mom? I, and I, I, is it real? I don't even know. Watching this movie, how to define real? I mean, I don't think any of this. I don't think the play in the woods is real. I don't think the the shrink working for her is real. I mean, it just. Well, I don't think the. I, but I, I think know. the shrink is somebody that she hired it's to fantasy. be his therapist and to record his therapy sessions so she could listen to them. I take that. I as, think the as play like in the woods is real. I think what he does. Is I think that is like Astor's one of his biggest sort of like dares, I guess, if you will, as a viewer, is do what Bo's doing. Like take this movie and do what Bo does to that play and make right. it all about you. He imagines himself as the lead. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think the play is real, but I think Bo goes into his mind and is like, oh, I'm, right. I'm actually watching like a play about myself. And he's sort of like goes into like a daydream of his own. Right. But I think also, okay, so here's the question. Regardless of whether or not you think all these people are real and they work for her mom. Elaine, the girl that he meets on the cruise when he's a little boy and, yeah. you know, I guess falls in love. Later with played by whatever. Parker Posey. Yeah. yeah, Parker Posey later on. He sees her on a TV interview about his mother's death. Great scene where he pukes all over the teenager's <laughs> laptop. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I'll clean it up. I'll clean it up. So, why, why, so that begs the question. Was everyone on the cruise an employee of hers already. And was that girl taken off of the boat because his mother, being overprotective, fired Elaine's mother or whatever mm -hmm. as right. an employee and said, get your daughter away from my kid. Right. And then potentially rehired her, Elaine, as an adult to be like, also stay the fuck I, away from I my kid. I think that's the implication. I think, she, well, she rehired her to come back and deflower him oh right and, you know oh i didn't get that i didn't that pick up on scene. that okay. i i don't know i mean i think to, for me that's a little literal i don't know i think this is all a big jumble of anxiety dream mommy issue right. crazy mm. middle-age crisis midlife whatever like i don't the know narcissistic toxic like gypsy rose yeah, yeah like <laughs> you know like that kind of shit yeah i actually thought that uh armin napishian who played Young Bo? Yeah, did a great job. Like yeah. he was cast really well. They looked alike, and also he his mannerisms as Young Bo was really good. Well, I had to read interviews with Ari Aster, and he hasn't, at least that I could find, he hasn't talked a ton. He's done brief interviews on this, and he's talked about how disappointed he was that. He, his, some really funny quotes you could read that he thought he was making this he was happy to make a divisive movie that he was excited that 
he knew that it was going to be polarizing and divide people. But in his mind, he imagined more of a conversation. And he said he realized at a certain point that, oh, no, this is actually stopping people from going. This is not this is not sparking the conversation that I thought would happen. This is just people aren't going to the movie. And this was his first failure. This movie lost a bunch of money. He, um, let's see, they spent 35 million. This movie made a little over 10 million. Mm. That was the A24's most expensive film to this point. Hereditary was a $10 million budget, made 80 million. Midsummer was a $9 million budget, made 48 million. So he really swung for the fences and they let him. And he, he talks about being very disappointed. And he also says that he put so many Easter eggs and so many clues in this movie that nobody has ever brought up to him. Uh, and he <laughs> mentioned specifically the cruise scene. So when I do go back, he specifically said there's stuff in the cruise scenes mm. that you should really look for that tells an alternate story from the one that, that we're seeing. All right, I'm in. Yeah. I'm totally sold. Yeah. All right, so there's a movie that this reminded me of as I was watching it. And... I like I literally almost reached out to Ari Aster to be like, okay, here's here's the podcast. We're doing those afraid. <laughs> you gotta tell me if I'm onto something here or just tell me to fuck off. But if I'm onto something, you need to talk to us. Mm-hmm. This movie is elf. <laughs> it's elf. Am I, I don't wrong? Know elf that well. I don't either. Oh man. Hold well, on, give me a second. It's elf. Let me think. This I is thought- an adult acid trip version of the movie elf when you said the wall earlier i thought that was the one because you mentioned this to me and i i didn't we didn't, both said we had movies that we yeah, thought of when you agreed and i to was not thinking speak that, to one another until tonight yeah and i thought oh so he thought the wall too we're on the same page no elf interesting hmm. he's gotta go find gonna, his dad gonna, he's th- trying to find his dad he's on a journey thoughts. it's literally like joaquin phoenix is just a 50-something-year-old, drug-addled, washed-up, anxiety-riddled Will Ferrell. I think that if, you know, a lot of people didn't like this movie, uh, but if you're an Ari Aster fan and you're a fan of just going to see a movie and walking away with that, like, what-the-fuck feeling, like, what did I just watch? It has that. It also is It is a tour de force. It has, like, that, that moment where those succession of songs plays is really where it seals itself in the tour de force epic odyssey you know um but i if you want to see something really kind of messed up and just make you think a lot about things i think that's what it does it raises more questions than it answers yeah i i I agree i i loved and it's it's funny because usually you know if lars von trier has a new movie and it's polarizing and half of the people walk out and half of the people stand and cheer, or David Cronenberg puts out a movie and and half of people love it, half of people hate it, that's my sign that I need to see it immediately. I want to go, but I have a history, a long, decades-long history with both of those filmmakers, so I know that I'm going to like their polarizing stuff. I think he was so young in his career to do this that that's why I was hesitant, because you know I don't already love 15 movies by this guy or whatever. I... I don't know about this, and it put me off. So I don't think that you should let that put you off. It obviously put a lot of people off. Yeah, I mean, tough sit through a theater for three hours, for sure. Yeah. I would not have probably enjoyed it as much if I were in a theater seat, regardless of, like, the level of comfort. But now that it's, like, on, you know, on VOD and, like, you can stream it at home and stuff, like, totally, totally worth it. Hey, what, what was the ankle monitor? He's wearing, all of a sudden... 
at one point in the movie, it shows that he's wearing an ankle monitor. They had put, the two parents had oh, put that, it on the him. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, know, I don't okay. remember seeing it, but that was my no, assumption. No, but because he asked, he's like, what's this? And they're like, oh, that's to monitor your vitals or whatever. Oh, you're right. Okay, okay. I forgot oh, about that. Gotcha, okay, right. right. Because there was a thing where he was, uh, there was a, there's a naked killer in this movie. That's oh, on, yeah. That's at large. <laughs> the birthday boy killer. The killer. <laughs> there's so many like ridiculous things. And the, the scene, like I have not gasped out loud and just like spit out my fucking spaghetti more than the bathtub scene <laughs> with a spider. Another thing that's at large is all these things that are kind of looming. You get all these like clues. The and bathtub, the <laughs> laptop vomit, uh, Julian Richings, yes. uh, just a, one of the most recognizable, like, love that actor so much. Just exploding, I burst out laughing. Any, anything like, for Jackson guy, right? Yes. Yes, yes. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Richard Kind plays the lawyer uh, at the end, prosecuting mm. Bo. Kat, you need to watch this four or five more times, and I think you <laughs> yeah. like it. Well, yeah, next week's my week. I'll just I'll just give you a hint. I picked this again. Oh, great! <laughs> I'm unavailable. Next up on Dave's Mad Nauseam Week, from 2017, The Evil Within. The mentally handicapped 30-year-old man Dennis lives with his older brother John. When John decorates his room with an antique mirror, Dennis has nightmares and finds evil in his reflection. His reflected image forces him to kill people, including his beloved ice cream seller Susan, and thus Dennis becomes a serial killer. But what will happen when John's girlfriend decides to move into their home? All right, Dave's week. Nice. Nothing Wait. melts but the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, um, again, Delusions of Grandeur. This is a movie that's reputation preceded it. And I had read about Andrew Getty being a meth head. A methman? W- w- methman. Mm-hmm. And the... Crystal meth, meth thing <laughs> kind of got my attention, and yeah, I read it. That's like me seeing that it's on Criterion, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, meth hit me. See, it, like I said before, I mean, if anything, this is a advertisement for uh, how efficient you can get things done in 15 years on Crystal Meth. <laughs> <laughs> so just keep at it, guys. Um, after it's you, after it's you not die, the meth that is holding you back. No. Yeah, when you die, your producer will edit it for you. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Michael Berryman really ste- steals the show uh, as uh, equally as scary as, as any role he's ever been in. Yep. I like this movie because of its roots and where it came from and why it exists. And I think that if it came out 15 years ago, it actually would be a little bit more relevant. Yeah. But there's some really, really campy effects. We just saw one of them. And there's a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of unforgivable dialogue, overacting, lots of overacting, some underacting. But there's some great practical effects there's some like great ideas and uh it 
definitely is like Bo is Afraid in, in exercise and overindulgence, and it has an existential angle to it. It has a mommy angle to it, and um, it has it has this thing where he gets he takes this ride in the beginning, a horror ride, and it's like it never stops, and you never know what is real. Um, so it's very much like an unreliable narrator because it's constantly changing and you're constantly having everything um, in a dreamlike state. You don't know what is awake and what is asleep and all this uh, narcoleptic stuff. But I enjoyed watching this. I do think it has tons of faults. Uh, I mostly picked it because of the conversation we could have uh, about this guy's delusions of grandeur. Hmm. So I this is one of the few movies that I'll say you benefit a thousand percent from knowing about it before you watch it because you do need to appreciate the fact that like this was he's not a filmmaker. He was a rich guy, came for money, had this mansion in the Hollywood Hills, wanted to make this movie, had the idea. Clearly, there's also like some the wall things going on here, like he was trying to probably tell a story of of his own, yeah. a very personal story. I think you need to know all of that going in, and then you sit back and you can just appreciate it. I also think if it had come out twenty one or two years ago now, like when they, whenever they, two thousand and two started filming, finished filming in two thousand eight. If it had come out any time in between there, I, I don't think it would be more relevant. I think it's only relevant now because it took so long to come out. Those effects wouldn't have even held up back then. Uh, so that's why I think you kind of have to understand like everything, and then you can sort of, you honestly will look over a lot of that. The crazy thing about that is even knowing and preparing myself for like a bad like, okay, this guy's methed out and who the fuck knows? Like everyone says this movie makes no sense. It starts off unbelievably. The whole dream sequence, his dialogue, like the script writing, he gets a little wordy and like he's a little, like that is self-indulgent in and of itself. It's, it's tedium. You it's know what I mean? very tedious. But like the voiceover, like the... All of those effects and the editing and everything is really strong. And you can look past a little bit of like what's to come, but then it sort of like hits this wall of like really bad, like Beverly Hills 90210 sets and acting. Um, but, you know, all of that aside, we've talked about way worse movies on the show, way worse effects. And it it's legitimately scary. Like Michael Berryman's character, um, is it Frederick Kohler, the kid that plays Dennis? He is incredible. He's in incredible this. in this. I love he's that. He's super kid. scary. Wow. Basically plays like a dual role. He plays a dual role. And he's really scary. It's got like, you know, it it checks a lot of traditional horror boxes. Like cats get it, kids get it, people get it. Like mm. there's some pretty inventive like. Grab death a doggy scenes. from the cooler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are some good lines. Um, I was really surprised. I think I was I had a lot of benefit. It, the The bar was low, but my intrigue was high. And just like the trash movies we talk about and stuff, like I was rooting, you know, just like innately rooting for this to be okay and like to enjoy it because I just wanted this guy. I mean, this was like a posthumous release, you know, everything I wanted to be like, I can talk kindly about this movie. And I can. It, it's a fucking, it's a cool watch. Hey, Dave. Hello, Kat. Hey, it. How's hey, it going? <laughs> This was a movie, a film. I really like your impression, mate. I hated this movie. Trash. <laughs> it's trash. This is a trash movie. I wouldn't say this movie's ableist, like some people on X or Twitter were, were claiming. One person. One person. Well, so one person said, I just, 
don't really like watching people with um, intellectual disabilities be portrayed by those that don't have those disabilities in film. It's just like one of those things. Didn't like I Am Sam, you know, didn't like... Um, Sling, Sling Blade. Sling Blade. Rain I Man. Like, I, Nell. I, what about I, Nell? <laughs> I liked... Um, in the wind. I like Forrest, uh, Forrest Gump. That was really good. That's about as close as I get. This is Forrest Gump. This is... <laughs> it's close. Yeah. So right off the bat, I wasn't like super excited about the rest of the movie and then it just got real dark and real bleak real fast there wasn't that much of a lead up for me for you know this character to be overtaken by this evilness like all of a sudden he's like all right yeah i'll kill some cats and i'm like whoa okay well that was a fast progression but it got very bleak and i just wanted to get off that train i didn't want to ride that that sad train anymore for the rest of the movie i think there i was trying to think of some things that i appreciated about the movie Final scene was definitely something that I won't mm. uh, forget. Wow, for what a while, a so good. No matter how hard I try, um, it's gonna haunt my dreams. That uh, spider, the spider uh, thing that was going on. There were character actors that I recognized. Big fan, big fan of those. Sean Patrick Flannery. Yeah, that guy. Dina Meyer. Yeah, bookstore guy. The tallest actor, the Guinness record holder as the tallest actor in the world is in this movie. Yeah, he was in it. So that was cool. You know, I would be like, oh, okay. Matthew McGorry. Yep, that guy. He was a tall guy actually playing a tall guy. They didn't get a short guy to hire him and ask. Type no, cast. Act, tall. So I liked that part. Yeah, Just I liked that tall. part. Mm. Yeah. I can appreciate what went into making this film, as you were saying, you know, the methamphetamines and the 15 years. <laughs> I can appreciate uh, <laughs> appreciate that <laughs> obviously this is <laughs> obviously this is a representation of this man's issues that he decided to put onto film he was having nightmare i did some reading on it he was having like these nightmares as a kid and like he's fighting the evil within him sure but the story that he chose to be representative of that is just so it's just very bonkers to me was it well executed sure i think so some cool effects, some weird, you know, hokey effects, good practical effects. The ventriloquism scene at the end with, like, you could see, like, the fingers, like, in the mouth. Like, that was really cool. Oh, I was into that. So that good. really got me. So Very good. creepy. Oh, that was awesome. But I don't, yeah, I think this is, like, a week for me where I'm not going to rewatch either of these films. But that's okay, you know? At least I knew what was happening in this movie. So that's a, you know, that's a plus mm. from the other one. I could follow... <laughs> Yeah, Calvin knew. I could follow... Get a doggy from the cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Dogs are about to get it. Pet gets it. Pet's going to get it in a second. At least I knew what was going on in this movie. It was only 90 minutes long, so that was also pretty cool. But yeah, it was just awful. I really hated it. And, um, Don't someone... sugarcoat it. You hated this movie. <laughs> so, That's fine. Someone, really cool. asked, <laughs> someone was like making conversation with me at the bar the other night, and they're like, oh, what movies are you watching this week? And I'm like, oh, man, I just watched this awful movie i never want to see it again and they're like oh is it like a so bad it's good movie and i'm like no it was just a really not good movie and that's where we are so um thanks thank you guys thanks wrecked him it fucking killed him (laughs) folks this is one of the greatest horror movies of the past 20 years wow what this is one of the greatest <laughs> horror movies of the past 20 years. I love this movie. Brilliant. Wow. Genius. Mm-hmm. Every bit the work of art that Bo is Afraid is. This is his version of Bo is Afraid. 
you know, when you told us about this movie, Dave, I was very skeptical. I was like, all right, we got to watch this movie just because guy did meth. Lots of people well, do meth. I don't want to watch their movies. You know, I was like, what? What's going on? I already got Boas Afraid. Now I got this meth movie too. You know, I would totally. <laughs> and, and so I thought, well, at least the backstory will be interesting. This guy is uh, is the grandson of the founder of Getty Oil. He's a rich recluse. He was addicted to meth. He started filming this in 2002. Didn't finish it till 2008. Then started editing it. Did that until he died in 2015. And then his producer took over and finished it, and it was released in 2017. None of that has anything to do with how much I love this movie. Right. I say in spite of all that, I don't care about all that. It's interesting. This is just a great horror movie. The performance, the lead performance in this, incredible, unknown. I didn't get a chance to, um, I meant to look into, is it Frederick Kohler? Yep. He's Frederick been in a Kohler. few. He's, been he's done like, some other stuff. He's done a yeah. lot of yeah. stuff. Nothing like prominent like this, but he's... His filmography for both movies and TV is pretty yeah. pretty extensive. And like you said, Kevin, he plays a dual role. He plays himself in a challenging role. I mean, I think he's really impressive in this role. He has to play somebody that has some developmental issues. I think he does it really, really well. I mean, I would say he does it flawlessly. I think he does it not in a way that's exploitive at all, not in a way that makes he's never the butt of the joke. He's just a person. And I think, why shouldn't why shouldn't somebody like that be the center of a movie, whether they're the hero or the villain. I don't care. I thought he did a great job with that. And then he had to play himself as the evil demon. He's talking to himself in the mirror for half of the movie. This guy is having these conversations with himself and his other self is in the mirror and it's the demon who is um, sometimes played by Michael Berryman, but mostly played by him. Incredible. I loved it. I didn't think the acting was that bad. And, you know, nothing worse than we saw in like Thinner or other cult you know, type movies. I thought most of the acting was pretty good. Sean Patrick Flannery, perfectly fine. This is a perfect pairing to Bo is Afraid because this also is a dream logic, nightmare scenario, very phantasm vibes I got. Um, this is on Tubi for free. It's on Voodoo free. You can see this anywhere. I would highly recommend checking out The Evil Within. In fact, I think you need to see The Evil Within. It's original in the way that phantasm is. Yeah. Is that it's kind of, you know, off the beaten path of other things in the genre. We're on opposite ends of why we like the movie. You definitely don't think it needs some of like that context. Don't care. I don't think it's that good without it. But, you know, I mean, well, I, I can see why you would, why you, it, it, it's a good if I didn't know, movie. If I didn't know any of that and somebody just said, oh, man, you got to see this crazy cult movie. It's an unknown underground thing. If I didn't know any of that, I would be just as into it. Well, one of the things in like music marketing is always like it's the the band that what or it, to me like is from a press angle or you whatever. Need a story. This this yeah, but this is like oh the movie that that guy who and, right. and to me the right. the production of the movie, not necessarily the story or the acting. It's the tediousness of the production and the the I know he didn't edit the whole thing, but just like how deep into all the different things he went that you can see the crystal meth. And I thought that, Kat, you're right on point with Forrest Gump. This is Forrest Gump week. Forrest Gump on acid <laughs> is Bo is afraid, and Forrest <laughs> Gump on crystal meth is the evil wow. within. Good job. Yeah, I, I think it's inspiring because I think it's brilliantly shot. I'm, I think it's really well made from a technical perspective. There's so many great shots in this. The camera work, I think, is really impressive. I would think, this guy's done other things. So, I mean, and, and I think it's, it's inspiring in a way that, 
American movie is not now. When we, you know, we talked about American right. movie. This now, th- to me, this says anyone can make their the wall. You can make your your wall. You don't have to be Ari Aster to make your wall. You can actually just be this guy. And if you have the the stick to itiveness, if you have the perseverance, if you have the patience, if you have the drive, you have the meth. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. You too can it's make your the wall. Meth. <laughs> I mean, Sean Patrick Flannery and Dina Meyer, uh, two Saw franchise vets. Right. Yes. Starship oh, yeah. Troopers. Yeah. Starship. I was going to say, Starship. <laughs> it's coming. So one of these days, Starship Troopers is coming. That was a big one for me in the 90s. But at the ending, which is super well done, like horror-wise, that gave me big Saw vibes. Like, gave me some like James Wan, yep. like, and like all this, you know, even older stuff. Shot, I thought. Yeah. yeah, from before, from before then. But yeah, it really comes down to just like Bo is afraid. Uh, the what do you think is real and what isn't? Because at mm. some yeah. point, Dennis starts killing like uh, animals and then children, and then he gets into adults. But then his brother and his girlfriend go. They they start going around the town, and they like they don't recognize anybody. Because he's killing everyone. Yeah. Is that is that what they're implying? Like yeah. that he's just yes. killing everybody. Yes. Because I was like, know, I was yeah. like, are they in the dream world? Is the demon taking over, and now they're in like the mirror reality or something? Or literally, are they just implying that Dennis has just been going around and slaughtering everybody? I th- I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, one one thing we have kind of glazed over is you know R I P Andrew Getty. And I mean, he yeah. could have gone on to make some great horror movies. Yeah, uh, sad. other than just this one, right, Cat? Yeah, I mean, the, the, he could have. Yep. But uh, so, and meth. I loved all the voiceover narration. I thought the dialogue and the narration in this was fantastic. I loved all the voiceover speeches. I loved all the back and forth. We have to be brave. We have to kill the neighbor's cat. Uh, <laughs> all that stuff. Um, I'm, by I'm the surprised. Time, the house that Jack built. By the time this kid has got a freezer full of little oh other little kids that he's killed, not only that, he's taxidermying them. He's got all these taxidermy DVDs and books. Very, very house that Jack built. I'm surprised that you're so that that you haven't mentioned that you like this so much. You know, a few weeks ago, you mentioned how much the score of 28 weeks later just like distracted yeah. you and you hated it. Yeah. This movie did that for me. I'm shocked really? that you did not. No, what? It didn't bother you. No, not at all. It didn't even. It's just really... one of those things where, like, there's there's like an effective piece of music that that happens, and then who when maybe when he was editing it or something, somebody was like, "That's really cool. I'm gonna put it throughout it the entire fucking movie." I didn't notice. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, the soundtrack really got on my nerves huh, on okay. this one. All right, I was checked out on that part. I guess I was so. Entranced by the performance, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're really, really that set piece at the end, one. that whole ending, and it reveals the true story of his older brother who's taking care of him. He's, oh. he's being cared for by his older brother, who's like a father figure. And it turns out his brother actually had a hand in his injuries. Actually, I don't know what we're talking about. He's not developmentally disabled. He has a traumatic brain injury. Yeah, is what happened. And at and you get one story. I, I thought it was really smart how. It, it waits until the end and it gives you what you think is the story on what his brain injury is from. But then at the very end, it adds on to that story and it gives you a, a truer picture of how this happened and who, who was responsible. And the fallout from that is like, damn. I particularly like the practical effects with the uh, unzipping and Michael oh. Berryman getting inside oh, him. Dude, that um, zipper scene. Wow. Yeah, that was really good. Really I, good. And that's, you know, that was also, you know, like I was, 
a little confused on this. Like, I it wasn't one hundred percent cut and dry for me because that almost seemed like a demonic possession kind of yeah. thing that was happening with that. That maybe I didn't know if we were still in the dream world or if he was actually possessed by something. Well, or, yeah, and he he says that at the end. Am I still on the scariest ride in the world? Because mm-hmm. the, I love that whole opening where. He's having a dream. He's in the desert at a carnival with his mom, and they go on the haunted house ride, and it's billed as the scariest ride in the world, and they do the ride, and nothing happens, and they walk out, and he's like, that was a ripoff, Mom. We should get our refund, and she says, how do you know you're not still on the ride? And the next thing you know, Michael Berryman is putting a zipper. I thought he was going to rape him, but he ends up (laughs) putting, I think it's implied, but he puts a big zipper on the guy's back and climbs inside of him. I, at that point, I was like, all right, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> well, you guys have put me in a, a position that I'm not usually found in on the show. I have to be the one to bring us back to the 80s. Yes. And okay. just give us, 80s I got to go to okay. Tubi. Yeah. I got to let it. us turn mm. our brains off. We're going to talk about boobs and blood and practical effects and bad 80s acting and boxy cop cars and shit so we're gonna go with 1980s alligator nice and then we're gonna go with 1988's slugs slugs wow okay all right 